0: You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. comes from psychologist and author, Mary Pluff. She writes, I believe in silence. As a clinical psychologist, she says, I spend my day talking. Therapy patients arrive on the hour, and we talk. Sometimes the words are powerful, heart-wrenching, devastatingly true. Sometimes. The silences always are. I've come to trust them more and learned to translate their particular language. We speak volumes, you and I, in our silence. There's the silence of fear, fear that fills the space between us as you struggle to convince yourself that the risk of connecting is worth taking. I sit a mile away across a space littered with wounds I can only imagine, But I can imagine, my silence says, and I am still here. There is the silence of withholding. Saying nothing, you convey your disbelief that words could do anything but make things worse. To speak a truth makes it real, and there is no going back. But you are here because you cannot go back, my silence responds. There's the silence of loss that knows no words, for which no words are big enough, Or powerful enough or deep enough to convey what only silence can. I step into that devastated interior landscape to witness silently. If we can be together long enough, perhaps we can find a way to believe the loss will not kill us both. I know the silence that follows just the right words, the ones that fall unbidden from my lips or yours, surprising us both with their astonishingly obvious truth. We collapse into that silence together, breathless. We sit softly in it, letting it surround us with echoes of meaning. The ripples it sends out will await another day for analysis or exploration. We know the truth now. It binds us together in this moment. That is enough. I learned years ago, she writes, when I thought music might be my calling, that the notes are only tools. Music is made in the spaces between the notes, the phrasing, the transitions, the silences, so too in this world of healing with words. Oh, I work hard at the words, she says. I refine them and parse them and shape and color them for each person who shares their story with me. I work at them because they take us to the precipice, to the edge of truth. But I believe in the silence, the all-knowing and unknowing devastating silence that exists beyond the precipice. I believe in it because that is where healing lies. Come, let us worship together.
1: Good morning. Thank you for that beautiful music. I want to thank you all for inviting me to be with you this morning on this Labor Day weekend. Peace be with you all. I'm aware that there is a great diversity of belief and understanding of spirituality in the room, which I respect very much. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about my own spirituality. And I have many words in which to describe it spirit, the great mystery, energy, higher power, and God. The truth is, my beliefs are still evolving, still emerging. So please bear with me. I want to thank also Justin for inviting me to be with you today, and thank my children for behaving so well during this church service. On Friday of next week, so this coming Friday of this week, I guess, uh, September 7th, I will embark on a spiritual journey of sorts, a pilgrimage. I'm going to run the Superior 100-mile trail race on the Superior Hiking Trail of the North Shore of Lake Superior. This will be my second time doing the race. Last year was my first. The race is all on foot. It's 103.3 miles total and all on the Superior Hiking Trail. It has a 38-hour cutoff, so there is no sleeping until the race is over. A lot of people ask me, why in the world would you do such a thing? That sounds horrible, they say. That's crazy, they remark. That's the last thing I'd ever want to do, they exclaim. Okay, I get it, but the truth is there are many reasons why I do this, and some of those reasons have great depth. I couldn't help but speak about it this morning because it's coming up so close and because it's become such an important part of my life. I first discovered trail running in 2015 when a couple of fairly new friends, dads I met through my children's school, invited me to come with them on a trail run around Afton State Park. Anybody been there? Afton State Park? It's one of my favorite parks in all of Minnesota. It's a beautiful place. I fell in love immediately. I realized that trail running was a deeply spiritual endeavor. Trail running is a way of praying my experience. Each run is an adventure, and each run offers me opportunities for transformation. On that first run, my friends encouraged me to sign up for a trail race. They said, you can do it. It's no problem. Just go for it. So I did. I signed up for a a trail marathon on the Superior Trail. It was my first marathon ever, and it was a, a trail marathon. And as it turns out, I really needed this. I didn't fully realize it then, but I was going through a particularly difficult time with my job. I was down, I was tired, depressed, deflated. The feeling had been slowly seeping into everything else in my life too. My wife noticed it, my children noticed it, my friends noticed it, I simply wasn't myself. Now I love living in Minnesota. I'm a transplant from Indiana and some of the other places I've lived, but this northern climate has taught me that I am quite susceptible to a bit of seasonal affective disorder. The changing of the seasons is so powerful here, so stark from late summer to winter, which is precisely where I falter. I'm solar-powered, so to speak. (laughs) So when there's less light, I kind of slow down, and when there's more light, I speed up. I hadn't got a handle on all of this when my friends offered me this new life on the trails, this new breath. But I got out there with them, and I started to feel differently. Something was happening inside of me, a shift. I've always needed a lot of physical activity, and I've always needed a big dose of nature. I'm aware of this. However, I think I hadn't really tended to it for a while. I hadn't been paying attention I think the many years of working inside churches and buildings and offices gave me a bit of a a nature deficit. This is a real thing. I've been doing some research on it, Um, just not being out in nature enough, not being connected, not being amongst the trees and the green. I hadn't seen enough of Mother Earth, and I wasn't able to hear her call. I wasn't listening to my body, which was telling me what it desired. It's strange, but when I was working for the church, my spirituality was suffering. Overall, my faith in spiritual life has evolved greatly over the years and is still evolving, as I mentioned. Like many people, my beliefs have been a bit of a roller coaster ride. From my time in Colorado as a ski bum at 21 to winding up at Luther Seminary at 29, one day I had no idea what I believed, the next day I thought I was enlightened, Uh, then I was lost again. I didn't yet know at that time, about letting go. I didn't know about surrender. I didn't know about the power of silence. I was pretty wrapped up in my mind, trying to make spirituality a mental exercise. I was lost in the the wilderness of spirituality, so to speak, which was exactly where I needed to be, I think, at the time. I suppose I was waking up slowly, slowly but surely. As I awoke, I found that what my body and my mind and my soul needed was really very simple. I needed year-round sustained outdoor activity, movement immersed in nature, something I could do consistently, something that was life-giving. I needed the fresh air on my skin and to be grateful for it. I needed time to ponder the great mystery out in the places where I find the great mystery most accessible. I needed trees sunshine, moving water. I found this on the trails. I also found community. The trail running community is incredible. It's really the kind of community that every other community wants to be like. People tend to have great attitudes. They tend to be very grateful. They all love being out there. They love being together. They love the natural world. I spend time in community on the trails with extremely supportive people who are also some of the deepest listeners I've ever met. And they're okay with long periods of silence. I mean, really long periods of silence. If you stumble with this community, there will be at least five people helping to helping you up or offering to help you up. There's also solitude out there. There's so much time for silence on the trails, which I certainly did not have a lot of a few years ago. Time to simply listen to be present the mixture of nature and movement and silence and community was and is a really good fit for me but why do I need to go and run this hundred miles next weekend it seems a bit extreme well yes but it's just the same period where I can spend 100% of my time outside and all I have to do is get from A to B from Gooseberry Falls if you know the area to Lutzen. It's a lot longer on the trail, a lot shorter on the road. Um, It is, in a word, transformational, and it's intentional. It's, It's focused time. Being out there having these experiences makes me a better husband and father and friend, and it gives me a sense of clarity and perspective. It helps me to pay attention. The North Shore is a liminal space for me, a thin place where the everyday and the spiritual exist more closely, where the divine can be more easily accessed. It is a sanctuary place where I feel a sense of peace and serenity that I don't always feel. I run in the woods because the clearest way into the universe is through a forest wilderness, because we all need the tonic of wildness. I am grateful for this light, for this life, and for the life around me, and it's a reminder of that. It gives me time to think, to pray, to meditate, to wonder, time to ponder the mysteries, time to find some clarity, and it gives me a breath of peace from the chaos of our world. I do it because it allows me to tap into the ancient rhythms of migration around the world, the movement of peoples. It allows me to connect with the earth in ways I don't always connect, with an intimacy and depth that takes real time. We come together as a community out there in the woods. We find ourselves and each other, and if we look and listen, if we are fully present, we can hear the spirit rustling through the leaves. We can feel the interconnectedness of all things. It becomes a spiritual experience. When my feet, when I run, my feet become part of the trail. I remember that this land is ancient and that so many have come this way before me. I give thanks for and honor the First Nations peoples who have lived on and explored these trails for thousands of years. I touch the trees with my fingertips the massive cedars along the trails. And I say, I love you. I see you. I hear you. You are beautiful. And they acknowledge my presence. I feel their reciprocation with fresh energy filling my lungs, not merely air, but life entering me. Have you ever had a tree acknowledge your presence? I see some smiles out there. In that moment, I feel and I know that all living things were and are connected. I was and am learning how to listen to the great mystery, to nature, to pay attention, to resist this culture of busyness, the madness of tribalism and politics, to have simplicity over materialism, to care for the environment rather than to continually destroy it. Terry Tempest Williams says, I believe that spiritual resistance, the ability to stand firm at the center of our convictions when everything around us asks us to concede, that our capacity to face the harsh measures of a life comes from the deep quiet of listening to the land, the river, the rocks. There is a resonance of humility that has evolved with the earth, It is best retrieved in solitude amidst the stillness of days in the desert. Indeed, we listen to the land and we learn a lot about ourselves. I often wonder if we need to love or learn to love the earth before we can truly love each other and truly love ourselves. What we have to offer is our presence. Our presence involves deep listening. It involves being, and it involves finding ways to simply be in the world and with the world, to pay attention. And sometimes in order to do this, we need to do something new. When you start something new, you will be changed. This is true. In 2016, I was unemployed. I was taking a self-imposed sabbatical over the summer, a bit of a risk, but one I needed to take, a time to reflect, to be with my kids, and to discern what was next. I ran my second trail marathon at that time, which was helpful with that reflection. And the moment, I kid you not, I crossed the finish line, I was carrying my cell phone, which is kind of a weird thing to do, but it was in my pack. So I had my cell phone here. I'm crossing the finish line. and My phone rings, and I click it off because I'm finishing this great thing, and I want to experience it and not be on my phone. But it rings, and it goes to voicemail. And it was a a job offer from this organization called City House. So once I collected myself, and I got hydrated, and I sat down for a while, I listened to the voicemail, called them back. They offered me the job. I accepted. City House is where I work now. I don't think it was a coincidence. I really don't. I can have a whole sermon on that alone. However, it was a beautiful thing. City House, Justin said a little bit about this, but City House is a small nonprofit that offers spiritual listening to members of our community who so often feel unseen and unheard. We place volunteer spiritual listeners all around the metro area at partner agencies, such as Harriet Tubman, YouthLink, Avivo, which was Resource Inc., Union Gospel Mission, the Basilica of St. Mary, St. Mark's Episcopal Cathedral, Transformation House, Listening House, Catholic Charities, and more. Deep listening and presence are in such short supply in our society, especially with those experiencing very difficult times in their lives. City House offers trainings and retreats that focus on honing deep listening skills and on being fully present. We also offer pilgrimages. These are opportunities for small groups of people to go out into the community and to connect with, to reflect, to learn, and build relationships with people who are in very different situations. If anyone here has interest in doing something like this or in learning more, please reach out to me. Let me know. City House asks important questions such as, what if we all spent some time really listening to our neighbors who seem so different from us? As Father Greg Boyle says, the illusion that we are separate would disappear. There would be no us and them. There would only be us. Working with City House has taught me so much. It has taught me to slow down, to listen, to simply be with others without any agenda. Over the years, I had been very active in working for justice, mainly in the area of ending homelessness. I worked for Central Lutheran Church and for the Episcopal Church in Minnesota and also for St. Stephen's Human Services. all good work. But it seemed that the higher I got up the ladder, so to speak, the more removed I was from the people I cared so much about. And I began to not really see others or to hear them. I cared about fixing a problem. And so I began to see others, other humans as problems to be fixed. When I got to when I was at Central Lutheran Church there was a guy named Jerry who I got to know pretty well who taught me a lot. He was a senior citizen in his early 70s at the time experiencing homelessness living outside in Minnesota for about 25 years. True story. One day he came in wet from the snow he had slept outside next to the church that night I believe in a sleeping bag He came in wet from the snow and was shivering and cold and sick and he came to talk to me as he always did. Pretty much every day I was in the office he was there and we had some time to chat. I said, Jerry, we can get you housing. I know we can do this. Please let me help you. It's time. Jerry, come on. We can do this. Seriously, you're sick. You're gonna die out there. Let's please let me help you. And then he yelled at me, I don't need your charity. Wow. He didn't want my sympathy or my pity or my help, my charity. He just wanted me to listen to him. He wanted my empathy. There's a great short video from Brene Brown on sympathy versus empathy, which I think is incredible, which I, if you have time this weekend, please watch it. He wanted my empathy. I had become so active in those years that I hadn't—that I had ceased to be fully in relationship with others. I didn't recognize what Jerry wanted. I could only see what I wanted for him. I'd become more about the justice, justice issues themselves than the people the issues actually impacted. City House brought me back to the basics of presence, of listening, of being with, of humility, and most importantly, of solidarity. This quote from Henry Nowen sums up the city house philosophy pretty well, I think. Nowen writes, more and more, the desire grows in me simply to walk around, greet people, enter their homes, sit on their doorsteps, play ball, throw water, and be known as someone who wants to live with them. It is a privilege to have the time to practice this simple ministry of presence. Still, it is not as simple as it seems. My own desire to be useful to do something significant, or to be part of something impressive, some impressive project is so strong that soon my time is taken up by meetings, conferences, study groups, and workshops that prevent me from walking the streets. It is difficult not to have plans, not to organize people around an urgent cause, and not to feel that you are working directly for social progress. But I wonder more and more if the first thing we shouldn't, if the first thing shouldn't be to know people by name to eat and drink with them, to listen to their stories and to tell your own, and to let them know with words, handshakes, and hugs that you do not simply like them, but you truly love them. City House was founded because there is a real gap in spirituality and deep listening in our community and in across the world, really. Jim Dodge was a Methodist minister in Minneapolis who saw this gap and started City House back in 2002. It turns out there was and is a deep desire to be with each other and to listen to stories, to affirm and to encourage. City House was formed by spiritual directors who volunteered their time to make this spiritual direction and listening more accessible, especially for some of the most vulnerable people in our community. We are now a group of 30 to 40 volunteers with 15 partnerships around the Twin Cities, and we are very open to whatever another believes or shares. We are non judgmental, and our tagline is we listen to who you are. One of our volunteers, Glenn, is actually here today. Glenn, to me, is a holy man. I know he's holy because he's always humble. He quietly suggested to me, one day that I look into centering prayer. He could tell that I needed to tend to my inner life and my inner wisdom. So in a non-threatening way, he invited me to a centering prayer session and he gave me a book by Father Thomas Keating on the subject. Centering prayer is basically meditation, kind of like the silence that we had earlier. It's deep listening to God or the spirit, what's emerging in your inner wisdom Every major religion has found something like this, a way to tap into the great depths of wisdom and energy, but I had never taken meditation very seriously. So I slowly began a practice of daily centering prayer. I was not very disciplined by any means, but I was trying it, allowing for it. Sitting in silence was quite foreign to me, and new, and quite wonderful. I felt a deep listening emerge, a presence... I had been so focused on listening to others at this point that I finally realized it was time to listen to the Spirit, to understand God as I understood God. I had not listened for a while. I had not seen. I, had, I felt I didn't even know what I believed anymore, but here I was sitting, listening, being still, and connecting. My beliefs had been so tested and had evolved so much. My language had shifted and changed completely. Centering prayer offered me a way to listen to that ancient wisdom that flows and tends to emerge across the world as we enter particularly difficult times. Third way, non-dualistic thinking began to make more sense to me. I began to more clearly understand. It was nothing short of an awakening and an extremely welcome one at that I was actually introduced to Centering Prayer back in 2006, but I wasn't ready for it yet. Perhaps it was still too underground for me to understand at the time anyway. But at present, ancient wisdom is springing up all around us, for we are indeed living in perilous times, in some chaos. Making sense of what is going on is no easy task. For most of us, this time is producing or exacerbating anxiety, depression, fear, How are we to explain this to our children? How are we to live? How are we to be in the world during times like this? I'm not sure I know. It has something to do with connecting though, connecting with the natural world. What I do know is when you start something new, a new journey, you will be changed. All of this over the last few years has been nothing short of an awakening, a spiritual awakening, a transformation. I was open to the movement of the Spirit and somewhat open to change, but in fact, I needed it. I desired it. Now I feel that I am being led, so I am following. I'm running trails, working with City House, and engaging in centering prayer. These things seem congruent and a way to be in the world. As I prepare for the Superior 100-mile trail race next weekend, I know several things. It will be a time of meditation. It will be a time of immersion. It will be a time of silence. It will be a time to listen to nature, to the spirit, and to others. And as I lament the ending of summer and prepare for the fall, I know that my transition will be eased by this time immersed in nature. It won't be the same experience as last year, We'd need a whole nother hour for that, but it will be a profound experience nonetheless. I will be changed. When there is struggle, there is ultimately some clarity that helps to make sense of some things in this great wonder we call life, to make some sense of how to be in this messy world. The wisdom around us and in us is so often unseen and unheard. Our neighbors, especially those experiencing difficult times in our community, are so often unseen and unheard. Nature is so often unseen and unheard. What happens when we begin to truly open up and to see and to hear our brothers and sisters? To tap into the ancient wisdom that is all around us and most importantly, within us? To feel that all things are interconnected. I'll close with this quote from Terry Tempest Williams. I love this. She says, I pray to the birds because they remind me of what I love rather than what I fear. And at the end of my prayers, they teach me how to listen. This fall, let us take some time to see and to hear, to pay attention and to be with, to look and to listen, to feel the presence and to be present. In wildness, we are seen and heard. Peace.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text FIRSTUNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.